And welcome to episode 29 of The Other Berman Show. Before we begin this episode, I just need to say thank you. Because just after we posted episode 28, I was about five views away, so pretty quickly I hit 1,000 total views. I started this thing three and a half months ago. I did not think that I would get this much support this fast from you guys. So seriously, and I really mean this, thank you so much. It means the world to me. So thank you so much for all your support. really means a lot. So without out of the way, in this episode, we are going to break down the two major trades... In the NFL that happened today, including Marcus Peters to the Baltimore Ravens, and the one that happened only about 10 minutes ago, and I'm really glad I held off in recording this because I would have missed it, of Jalen Ramsey is headed to the LA Rams. Wow. just ha- That one just happened, so we're going to break that one down as well. And time permitting, we'll get to some of the key Week 6 games, and I will, reca- I will definitely get to the Ravens-Bengals game, and I hope to get to a couple other ones if we have time. So without further ado, please enjoy episode 29 of The Other Berman Show. So at about 4 o'clock, 4.30 today, we had our first of two blockbuster trades. And the first one was that the Baltimore Ravens have traded Kenny Young and a fifth-round pick to the L.A. Rams. In exchange for a corner you may have heard of, you may have heard of him, named Marcus Peters. Marcus Peters is a raven. And I am not going to understate this. In fact, I'm probably going to overstate this. This move very well could be the difference between playoffs and no playoffs, between a playoff win and two playoffs wins, Two playoff wins for the Baltimore Ravens. This move is gigantic, and I'll tell you why. The Ravens needed one more piece. I ca- I've also it all year. Is they were one little thing away. They were not ready yet. Well, this tells me that the Ravens are going all in because this move is huge. They did get they, this is a this is a very risky move for Eric DaCosta to trade one of your up and coming linebackers who's been playing pretty well. Get rid of him, but in exchange to get one of the top corners in the NFL. Yes, yes, I do know there's a little bit of risk involved as Peters is a free agent after this year, and also he is a little bit of a head case in the locker room. So. This is all assuming that that does work out in the locker room. <clears throat> assuming Peters gets along with the Ravens teammates in the locker room, something he's had troubles with in the past. And assuming Peters extends to the Ravens because, well, he's a free agent after this year, so there's no guarantee that he's even going to come back after this year. Who knows? But if he does, the Baltimore Ravens made a gigantic, gigantic move in getting this guy. I am so happy with this move. And Peters is going to be a very welcome addition to this Ravens defense, and secondary in particular, that is getting so, so um, banged up. I mean, we have... Yes! I'm just excited. Jimmy Smith has been injured for most of the season. Tavon Young was injured in the preseason. Tony Jefferson's out for the year, and we just lost to Sean Elliott, our backup safety for the year. So the Ravens safety is now um, the Ravens secondary is now Earl was Earl Thomas, great. Marlon Humphrey, great. Or not, you had Brandon Carr and that's yeah, Brandon Carr as your second corner, who's not that good. Anthony Averett is our third corner. No, it's been very bad. But and Chuck Clark, who I actually like, but the Ravens getting him. Now here's your secondary. You got Marlon Humphrey, a top three corner in the NFL. Earl Thomas, a top five safety in the NFL. Chuck Clark, a young, developing safety who I really like. Brandon Carr, who's a very solid number three corner. He's not a number two, but it's number three. He's very solid. 
and now Marcus Peters, a top 15 corner. Two of the 15 best corners in the NFL are now Baltimore Ravens, and you can make the argument two of the top 10 corners are Baltimore Ravens, but I'm not going to say that yet just because of how poorly he played last year. But since entering the NFL, nobody in the entire league since entering the NFL in 2015, nobody has more interceptions than Marcus Peters, so he's a very welcome addition. So assuming he can get along with his Ravens teammates and assuming he extends... This move is so big for the Baltimore Ravens, and I think it could very, very well be the missing piece that the Ravens desperately, desperately needed in becoming a true contender. As a playoff contender, a true contender. And this very well could be that missing piece. I'm so, so happy. Marcus Peters to the Ravens. The Rams were not done, however. Well, they traded away their number one corner to Baltimore. And, well, they, I think they got a pretty, pretty good return for him. They got Kenny Young, a very solid linebacker, a fifth-round pick. And now they gave up. Their 2020 first-round pick, their 2021 first-round pick, and their 2021 fourth-round pick to the Jacksonville Jaguars for the best cornerback in the NFL. Jalen Ramsey is a Ram. Wow. What a day for the Rams. Oh, not to mention, I believe, didn't they, um, didn't they get a center as well? Yeah, they did. They got a center. They got Austin Corbett from Cleveland. So they made three trades today for a team that was really snowballing. They were in trouble. Les Snead, Sean McVay, and this LA Rams organization. Yeah, they made, a, they made some moves today. Wow. The Rams are not sitting tight. They want to go all in and all in. They're going. They got rid of Peters, and they got Jalen Ramsey. The Rams, who have lost three straight games, this edition of Ramsey could be what they needed in terms of turning the ship back around, playing like the NFC champions that they played like coming in to this year and last year and even the year before. But they've been very, very bad these last three games. Well, they made a move. Three of them to be exact. Wow. Unbelievable. And Jalen Ramsey is a happy, happy man. He got out of there. He wanted out, and he got out. And I think this trade here fully, um, fully just—I'm looking for the word here. Fully, um, is it guaranteed? I don't think so. I'm thinking of it, but it fully, like, I'll say for now, for lack of a better term, fully guaranteed the fact that this is. Officially, a new era in the NFL. And it's very similar to what happened in the NBA in recent years in terms of superstar players requesting trades. Players took over in the NBA. It is a player's league in the NBA now. And I think, slowly but surely, we're going to start to see the NFL become just like how the NBA is, a players-dominated league, which is... Which, depending on who you ask, could be a good thing, could be a bad thing, could be both. I say, I say it'll be both. I think, I think there's definitely pros and cons in that. And whether I like it or not, though, I think that's where the NFL is headed. Whether you like it or not, that's where it's headed. This, these players are doing stuff that is very um, rare. It used to be very rare in the NFL. Requesting trades. It all started with Le'Veon Bell last year. I don't think we knew how much Le'Veon Bell has changed the NFL. And I don't think we even know, I don't even think we even know yet how much he's changed the NFL. Le'Veon, since then, I'm sorry, before then, when guys held out, I mean, okay, I want more money, but if you don't give it to me, fine, I'll come back. I'm not going to miss any game time. Nothing simple, nothing huge. Then Le'Veon, but with the exception of maybe two or three times. Since then, Le'Veon Bell has said, I want my money. And if not, I'm not playing. And guess what? He actually didn't play. He set out a full season. He went to the Jets. Yes, it did backfire. He got less money and he ended up on a way worse team. But the point is, he got what he wanted. 
at the end of the day. And that is out of the city that he was, out of the team that he was on. Since then, Melvin Gordon held out. He missed a couple games. Zeke held out and almost missed week one, but Dallas did pay him. Something that I'm not sure Dallas actually would have done if they didn't know about Le'Veon Bell. If they didn't have that Le'Veon Bell experience, I mean, if, they, if their Le'Veon Bell experience did not happen, where I didn't actually sit down, I don't think Dallas would have, would have been in any rush of paying Zeke because Zeke would have showed up. It wouldn't have mattered. But they all showed up. They all saw what happened to Le'Veon. Melvin Gordon and Zeke both said, all right, we're going to wait. And they did. Melvin Gordon actually missed game time. Gordon did backfire and came back, but he still missed time. Jalen Ramsey now. Also, same thing. He wanted out. He had a back injury, which I can't tell you the legitimacy of this back injury at all. And I would not be surprised to see that back be magically healed as soon as he gets to L.A. There'll be some magic doctor in L.A. that fixes his back. It's a player's league in the NBA, and I think very short, and I think very slowly and very, but surely the NFL is going to become a player's league. And in terms of that, Look out, because not only that, the CBA, the collective bargaining agreement between the owners and the players, is expiring in 2021. The negotiations are going on as we speak. So, that's, there's going to be something there in the CBA. Players want more freedom, and they have the leverage here. Because, if not, they're going to have a lockout. We're going to miss some football in 2021 if the owners don't. Give what the players what they want. That is more freedom. The franchise tag is probably going to go as well. And extension of games, players didn't want it, and it doesn't sound like it's going to happen. The legalization of marijuana in the NFL sounds like that's almost, that's almost a guarantee to be into the, NF, the new CBA in the NFL. I can go on and on and on. Player safety. More and more player safety stuff is coming in and into the NFL, and that's, gonna be, and that's not slowing down. Players wanted celebrations to be legalized. They got legalized. It's a players-driven league, and it's going to slowly and slowly and slowly, we're going to see the owners have less and less and less power in the NFL, and the NFL and NBA are going to be very similar because the NFL sees how successful the NBA is. Yes, it's driven some fans away. The NBA in recent years has driven fans away because of the super teams and all that stuff, but it's also driven a lot of younger fans in because superstars are playing with each other, and younger fans like that. And I think the NFL is seeing that and saying, all right, well, we saw, I mean, we saw it happen with Cleveland and their super team. Yes, it's failed to start off the year, yes, but the hype that Cleveland was bringing into the NFL as a brand Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, Baker Mayfield on the same team. Kareem Hunt's going to come back. Nick Chubb, Miles Garrett. This team's going to be great. And everyone in Cleveland got excited. And the NFL as a brand benefited from that. I think the NFL wants it. Granted, that has not, it has not worked out in Cleveland, but that's not the point. Super teams could be coming to the NFL. Maybe not to the same extent the NBA because it's two different sports and two different leagues. In terms of superstars wanting out, superstars wanting to play together, I think we're going to see more and more of that in the NFL in the very near future, starting in 2021 with this new CBA. So it's definitely something to keep an eye on. So with all that being said, though, Jalen Ramsey to the Rams, one of those things. He wanted out, he got out. Jalen Ramsey wins, the Rams win, they got a new... It's a win-win-win. Jalen Ramsey wanted out, he got out. The Jaguars wanted a... The Jaguars only wanted the Jaguars would only trade him if they got a huge return. They got a huge return. The Rams wanted a new top corner. They got a new top corner. Win, win, win. In this trade. So there you go. Those are the breakdowns of the two major trades in the NFL today. And what it could mean for the NFL as as a league in the future. Now, let's get into a wild week six of the 2019 NFL season. All right, we're now getting into the game recap. It's going to be a little bit different from now on. Instead of recapping every single game, I'm going to recap a select number of games that I chose from this week, some of the games of the week and stuff. I will go into detail with those. It'll be the same thing, though. Five minutes or less to get through all of these games. And the teams that I do not get to, you'll hear where they're on the power rankings on Thursday's show anyway. So you'll hear where everyone is coming into on Thursday, including the teams of the bye. So we'll get into the first one, Ravens and Bengals. And then after that, 
We're going to get into Texans and Chiefs. After that, we'll get into Tank Bowl, Redskins, Dolphins. And then after that, we're going to get into Falcons, Cardinals, Niners, Rams, Cowboys, Jets, Lions, Packers. Those are the games we're going to get into. The other games we're not going to talk about this week just because of the news that I did get into for, and I want to keep this under an hour. So start things off with Ravens and Pengals. Ladies and gentlemen, if any of you had any if any of you are still confused over what a scoreboard liar was and what I meant by that, I point to you the Ravens and the Bengals. This is a perfect example of what I mean when I say the term scoreboard liar. Because it's a game that was ended at 23-17. And if you looked at it, just by the box score, you'd say, oh, it was a close game. But it wasn't. The Ravens, for this full game, had control. And the Bengals' only scores were on the opening kickoff, in garbage time, and then a field goal at the end of the first half. Other than that, it was all Ravens throughout. But the game ended in a, with a six-point deficit. Yes, the Bengals did still almost come back and win, but it would not have been one of those games where it was close. It really wasn't. It was all Ravens the whole way through, and I was very impressed with it. The pass rush for the Ravens really, really woke up in the second half. I think um, the additions that we've made over the last few weeks has been key, and I think this, and as I already spoke to, I really think this addition of Jalen Ramsey, it, no, I'm sorry, of uh, Marcus Peters is going to be huge for the Ravens. Um, but if there's one person who really, really deserves a shout-out, it is Action Jackson, Lamar Jackson. 21 for 33, 236 yards, no touchdowns, no picks, 19 carries. For a quarterback, 19 carries, 152 yards and a touchdown. But it's not one of those old-school Lamar Jackson running games where it's, oh, we just took – but he also passed. In fact, he was the first player in NFL history – to have 200-plus passing yards and 150-plus rushing yards in the same game in NFL history. Not only that, he had not only, yeah, he had 200-plus passing yards, 150-plus rushing yards in the same game. It's never happened before in the history of the NFL. It is not one of those Lamar Jackson running games that we've seen where Lamar just does. No, he did both, and he did both very, very, very well. And it's um, one of those games where you really can take a step back because his first start was against the same team last year. And the difference, if you take a look at the film between Lamar Jackson in his first game just 11 months ago in Baltimore against Cincy and this game at home in Baltimore against Cincy, it looks like two completely different players. It's a more polished, a more mature version of Lamar Jackson, someone who actually stays in the pocket, someone who actually plays NFL quarterback. However, while still having that weapon of his legs that he used so well and so often, this was an unbelievable and the most impressive game from Lamar Jackson I have seen from him throughout his career. Stats-wise, did he have more passing yards against Miami? Sure, fine. But this game was his best game because he did it through the air and on his legs consistently very well the entire game. Mark Ingram continued to be the batter than that he was. 13 carries, 52 yards, and a touchdown. Gus Edwards, 6 carries, 34 yards. Justice Hill, 5 carries, 31 yards. And the same, there's a thing with Justin, Justice Hill. At some point this year, they're going to give Justice Hill a carry. He's going to break one for like a 30 or 40-yard touchdown, and he's going to be unleashed for the rest of the year. I'm not saying it's going to be next week. I'm not going to say it's going to be next month. I'm saying it's going to be at some point during this season, he's going to break one for a long touchdown run, and he will be a key member of this offense for the rest of the season, no matter when that happens. I was very, very impressed with the Ravens this week, but you got to remember, this is a, t- a game against an 0-6 team. We did not beat New England. We beat the 0-6 Cincinnati Bengals. Next week, we travel to Seattle. That's a real test. We'll see what this team is really made of still, because I'm still not sure. We're still a very confusing team. But at this point in time, I'm going to take away from this win a nice performance, but a win that should have happened either way. So, yes, was it a good win? Was it a good win? Yes. Was it a win that was expected? Yes. So... Nothing extraordinary, but a good job there by the Ravens. And before I move on, I would like to give a huge shout-out to Justin Tucker, who got his 1,000th career point in this game. 
in his only 118 career games, breaking Steven Guskowski's record for the fastest in NFL history to 1,000 career points. So congratulations, Justin Tucker. And I only got 20 seconds, so I think I got to move on to Seahawks and Browns. Actually, before we move on to Seahawks-Browns, I actually have to tell you that the Bengals are coming in at number 30 and the Ravens are coming in at number 12. Now on to the next game. All right, Texans and Chiefs. Both teams are 4-2 and two now. The Chiefs got off to a hot start with a great throw from Patrick Mahomes deep to Tyreek Hill, who made a great catch over a defender in front of him and a defender behind him, made the catch, went around, and then scored. An unbelievable play. Chiefs tacked on three. Texans tacked on three. Then Mahomes drove down the field, got another touchdown. Texans drove down the field, scored. Did not have the extra point. was no good. Then the Texans scored another touchdown to make it 17-16. Texans score again, 23-17. Chiefs then score again to make it 24-23 to Tyreek Hill again, who in his return played very well. And then Deshaun Watson, who has put himself right in the MVP conversation, drove the Texans down in the field in an eight-and-a-half-minute, absolutely phenomenal drive and led them to a touchdown. It was incredible. And it was just an incredible drive by... A very polished player, Deshaun Watson, a guy who I think Lamar Jackson should watch the film on because Deshaun Watson and Lamar Jackson were very similar coming out of college. Lamar, to a more extent, was a more of a runner. Deshaun Watson was more of a polished pocket passer coming out, but they were very similar, especially compared to most quarterbacks. Um, maybe only, other than Deshaun Watson, probably only Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson, the only two com- players who I can even compare to Lamar Jackson coming out of college. So... It's really hard. So, but Lamar really should watch film Deshaun Watson because he is really polished. He is really matured. He is a very great runner when he needs to be. Even and the game winning touchdown, yes, it was one yard, but it was a rushing touchdown. I will point that out. His accuracy has improved dramatically. His arm has improved dramatically, and his just. The way he gets along with his teammates has been, not that there was ever a problem, but he really has um, been very impressive in everything. And I've been very, very, very impressed with Deshaun Watson. And it's time to put him in the MVP conversation. And right now, at this point in the season, yes, we've only had six weeks of football. But if I were to say, who am I, if you ask me who my top three MVP candidates are, in no particular order, it's Christian McCaffrey, Patrick Mahomes, and Deshaun Watson. Those are my three MVP candidates right now at this point. He is in that conversation. So, Texans fans, you guys got a really, really good player in Deshaun Watson. All right, moving on now to the power rings where they all stand. The Chiefs are moving down two spots, but still at number six. Great. Texans going to move up six spots from last week at number nine. I kind of ignored them in previous weeks because they hadn't had a really true statement win. This week, they had one against Kansas City, so I moved them way up. They're in the top 10. So at this point, they're two top 10 teams. Chiefs at number 6, Texans at number 9. These two teams could see each other again in the playoffs. Who knows? And I would like to see that because that will be a very fun matchup between those two teams. And yes, but and before I move on, though, the Chiefs have now lost two straight games in Arrowhead. Two, home, two consecutive games, both of them at home. Very, very rare for Kansas City to lose two at home in a row. But, yes, it was against two good teams. It wasn't against... It wasn't like they lost to the Dolphins and Redskins Oh, um, in back-to-back weeks at home. No, they lost to two playoff contending teams. They So, I wouldn't panic too much if I was a Chiefs fan, but it's something to keep an eye on. But, Mahomes has also been very, very banged up over these last few weeks. So, who knows? All right, let's move on now to the next game, which is Tank Bowl Redskins-Dolphins. It's time for Tank Bowl between the Redskins and the Dolphins. The winner has the prize of losing because if you win, you don't get the number one overall pick. If you lose, the number one overall pick is all but yours, and the winner slash loser of this game was the... Miami Dolphins, they lost 17-16, to meaning they get the ultimate reward 
of most likely having the number one pick in the 2020 NFL Draft and Tua Takavaloa, assuming they don't stick with Josh Rosen, and no one does. So, let's go through this game, shall we? The game started off with punts after punts after punts. It's a tank ball. No one really wants to win. But then the Redskins decided, hey, let's score a little bit here. So, Keenum threw it deep to Terry McLaurin, who has been very, very good and is in the conversation for Offensive Rookie of the Year. And as a receiver, that is a very, very impressive thing to say. But McLaurin is definitely in that conversation right now for Offensive Rookie of the Year. He had that 25-yard touchdown from Keenum. Dolphins tacked on three. Then the Redskins scored again, 33-yarder two. Guess who? Terry McLaurin. He has had two, two touchdowns in this game. Washington scored two touchdowns. They were both about two McLaurin. That came out weird. You know how it meant. That was... Kind of started there for some reason. Redskins attacked on three, 17 to three. What are the Redskins doing? They're throwing away the game, but then the Redskins said, Here, Miami, take it, take it. So, but the Dolphins said, No, we're gonna put in Fitz Magic. We don't want to win. Let's take out our young quarterback and put in Ryan Fitzpatrick. Well, little do they know, Fitz Magic had his Fitz Magic on. The Dolphins scored a touchdown to make it 17 to 10. And he scored again, drove the Texans, I mean, drove the Dolphins down the field in the last two minutes. Texans get a phenomenal two-minute drill to score a touchdown and send the game to overtime. But Brian Flores heard a message from up top, from the owner's box maybe. Go for two, lose the game, win Tua. He heard it. So, Miami went for two, knowing that if they screwed this up, they would win. But if they executed it perfectly, the Redskins would walk away winners and losers at the same time. And the Dolphins would come away as the true winners of Tank Bowl. And they did. And it was executed to perfection. Fitzpatrick could not become Fitzmagic, went away, turned back into Fitzception. And there was no two-point conversion. And the Dolphins earned their number 32 spot in my power rankings where they've been since the beginning of the season. They will stay at number 32. They haven't moved since training camp. The Redskins fall down two spots to number 31. And I can feel confident in saying that neither of those two teams will be moving for the rest of this season, assuming that something dramatic does not happen with these two teams. Now... Now that we've told you the story of Tank Bowl Championships 2019, I think we can say that the Dolphins are... We can take a look here at this Dolphins team at 0-5, and we can look at their remaining schedule, and we can say, when the hell are they going to win a game? Are they going to win a game? They got three more opportunities. Two games against the Jets and the Bengals. If they lose all three of those games, we're looking at an 0-16 football team in Miami. It is that bad. It's one of the worst football teams I've ever seen. And they could be well on their way to an 0-16 record in Miami. On to the next game. And our second real game. to break down. Well, I still move on to the next game, but it's between two bad teams that you can consider a semi-tank bowl. Between the 2-3-1 Arizona Cardinals and the 1-5 Atlanta Falcons. The Falcons are currently number 29, falling down three spots from last week. The Cardinals, number 27, moving up a spot from last week. Two bad teams once again battling it out. Now, this was actually a great game. between Even those two bad teams, this is a very entertaining game. Um, it started with a Calvin Ridley touchdown, followed by a Cardinal field goal. Chase Edmonds then took it in after a nice drive by Kyler Murray. Then the Cardinals scored again, and after another great drive by Kyler Murray, a quick one, actually. A quick drive by Kyler Murray, driving eight, 79 yards, ended with a David Johnson one-yard touchdown run. And the Falcons tacked on three. The Cardinals tacked on three. Cardinals scored a touchdown there. Falcons scored one, so it's 27-13. Uh, but then the Falcons march back, tie up the game at 27. Then the Cardinals score. Falcons score with a minute 53 to play. It's incredible. So Matt Bryant, one of the greatest kickers, not the greatest, but probably a top 15 kicker to ever play in the NFL, but he's very, very old. He's 
oh, he's the second oldest player in the league behind Adam Vinatieri. He is the oldest player in the NFL. Matt Bryant trots out for the extra point to tie the game, and he misses it. Matt Bryant misses an extra point, and the Falcons will lose because of it. The Cardinals will take away the victory. Steal one, 34-33. Now, it was a great game, but it really has long-term effects here. The Falcons losing here. So dra- they probably are now going to enter into the tank. And the Cardinals, 2-3-1. They are a decent football team. And I can tell you, I still am... I still have not bought into Kyler Murray, but I've bought into this Cardinals team, not this year, but I think they have a nice future, and I believe Kyler is going to be better than I thought. I don't think, I still don't think he's going to be that great, but I think he's going to be better than I thought. He's proven me wrong. He's looked decent, which is better than I thought he would look, especially in Arizona. Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray definitely look like a good pairing over there in Arizona, but over there in Atlanta, yeah... Dan Quinn is counting down the days until he is fired. Um, I don't know when the Falcons bye week offhand. I believe it's week nine. Don't quote me. Actually, let me look. It up. I believe it's week nine. Let's see. Falcons bye week. It is. Yep, week nine. And reports are saying that that is probably when they will consider and slash make a coaching change. And firing Dan Quinn. And that's what I would assume. I, I think Dan Quinn has a couple more games. They're going to give him two more games before the bye week. Then they'll bring in their interim head coach in, whoever that is, whoever is on the coaching staff. The Falcons will make that, him their interim head coach for the rest of the year. And Atlanta will tank their way through the rest of the season and get as high of a draft pick as they can in a great upcoming draft class. Um... So, yeah, that's about all we got to say about Falcons-Cardinals. And now on to the next game. Well, in the middle of this recording, I actually received word that the Washington Nationals are World Series bound. So, quick shout-out to the Nationals on making it to the World Series. And who will they take on? Either the Astros or Yankees. Time will tell. But you might, and no promises here. But I might be bringing in someone to help me break down the World Series. I don't follow baseball at all, pretty much, so it's really going to be, this person's really pretty much going to talk for me here, but I might be working on something for a World Series preview for all you baseball fans out there, but I will not be running that conversation. It'll be a little bit of a uh, guest hosting role there for that segment. Just just a little uh, tease. Nothing to, I can't promise you that, though. But there's a good chance that could be in the works once the World Series begins. Now, on to the next game. Oh, this next game I'm breaking down for different reasons. This is just to applaud a team that I have not given enough credit to. To give credit to a team that has really flown under the radar. Well, they're not under the radar anymore. They are 5-0 for the first time since 1990. They have just defeated the defending NFC champion, L.A. Rams. They have the most fun-to-watch defensive coordinator I've ever seen in Robert Sala. They're very fun-to-watch defense in general, actually, might I add. And this defense is legit. Garoppolo has played very well. This Niners team is for real. It is time to take them seriously. As San Francisco is a true contender. And nobody, nobody. Saw that one coming. The Rams, they lost in, if they can't turn it around, in a division this good, they could be saying goodbye to their season. And if it wasn't for all these moves, I can tell you, if they came in this week with the team they had last week, this is not a ship that is going in the right direction. But they got rid of Marcus Peters. They made some moves. They got Jalen Ramsey. And the Rams. They're going all in because they know if they don't, they're in trouble. In a division this good with two great, great teams, could be maybe top five. Maybe you have the arg- There's an argument to make. And there are two teams in the Rams division that are top five teams. It is not easy for them. The Rams are coming in at number eight, and they're third in their division of the 
Yeah, the Rams are coming in at number eight on my power rankings, and they're third in the division in my power rankings. They're number eight, and there's two teams in their division that are ahead of them. The 49ers are number three, and the Seahawks are number four. Rams are in trouble because they're in the best division in football. So good luck to them. But they sent a message to the NFL today. They're going all in. 49ers have sent a message to the NFL all year. Take us seriously. And nobody did. Until now. They're sitting there 5-0, and and they're sitting there pretty. Let's take the Niners for real. Because they're a good team. Moving up six spots to number three. Rams moving down two spots to number eight. On to the next one. J-E-T-S. Jets, Jets, Jets. The Jets make everybody in America happy. Because when the Cowboys lose, America wins. And when the Cowboys lose to a bad team, America laughs. Yes, I know my lock of the week was wrong and big deal. But I don't care. The Cowboys lost to the Jets. The Jets are one, were 0 and 4 and they beat the Dallas Cowboys. I still think the Cowboys are a fine team, but they're a whole lot worse than I thought they were. And Sam Darnold injected energy into that Jets team. Jets are still coming in at number 28, but they moved up two spots. Cowboys are your biggest fallers, I believe, of the entire season. Minus the Colts of the Andrew Luck retirement, which I don't really count in terms of during the season because that was a preseason to week one power ranking fall. So since the power rankings have been updated every single week, the Cowboys are your biggest fallers of the entire season so far, falling down eight, yes, eight spots to number 15 on the power rankings. Falling down eight spots. Eight! That's a lot of spots. By the way, I failed to mention that the 49ers and Texans are your biggest risers of the week, going up six spots. Um, I just completely failed to mention that, but they are. So, shout out to them on being that. And your Cowboys' biggest faller going down eight spots. Chargers are off the hook, but they fell down six spots. And we'll get into more that more on Thursday, for sure. Um, all right. Yeah, just bad, bad loss for Dallas. And they weren't really in this game until the end. The Jets were dominating for most of this game. The Cowboys at the end mounted a comeback, almost were able to tie it up, and they... If they would have gotten the two-point conversion, the game would have went to overtime, and they missed it. And there was some poor officiating in this game, and there will be a rant on the this season's officiating coming up after we break down the final game of preview, and then I will give you a little rant, really show you my thoughts on this year's officiating for sure in terms of this season. That will be coming up right after the next breakdown. So... Let's get into that final breakdown because I'm pretty sure you guys want to hear my little rant after we get to Packers and Lions. Well, let's get into this one. Lions and Packers. Lions got off to a hot start to a 10-0 lead. Then I'm sorry, got off to a 13-0 lead. Packers then scored 13-7 and a field goal, make it 13-10. Then it was 13-13. Lions tacked on a couple field goals. Matt Prater got me a ton of fantasy points this week. Score, next thing you know, it's 21, it's 22 to 13 with about 11 minutes to go in the game. Lions starting to put the finishing touches on the game, and then the Packers get it. They score a touchdown. Oh, it's a game again. But can the Lions put it away? No, they can't. Not a three and out, but pretty quick, um, pretty quick, um, what's the word? Just failure, I guess, for lack of a better term. And the um, the Lions, Packers take over. Long seven-minute drive that ends in a Mason Crosby field goal at the one-yard line to give the Packers a win over the Lions. And, yes, I know we got a lot of things like lost over in terms of officiating, and that is, yes, and as I said before, that's because I have a full-on separate 
thing I need to say about this week's and this season's officiating, for that matter, after I'm done talking about this game in particular. Um, Aaron Rodgers did Aaron Rodgers-like things in, in Lambeau with the help of his friends, the Zebras. Um, he's dominated the Lions at home over the course of his career. The Packers, in general, have dominated the Lions at home. Since 2000, they're 17-3 and at home against Detroit since 2000. And two of those three losses have been when Aaron Rodgers was injured. The other one was with Brett Favre, where he just played bad that game. Other than that, it's been, it's been all, all Packers in Green Bay against the Lions. It's been in a rivalry that is all but a rivalry, because a rivalry is a game between two teams where you never know who's going to win. This rivalry, it's almost always Green Bay. And shame on me for thinking the Lions would somehow break that streak in Green Bay, no matter how good the Lions are. The Lions are coming in at number 10. Packers coming in at number 5. The Lions still moved up four spots, and it's in terms of I just think they are on that caliber. I just was too hesitant to move them up so much because if I put them in the top 10 last week, they would have... No, actually, I'm sorry. Last week they lost. That was why. But two weeks ago, if I put them in the top 10, they would have moved up like... 10 or 11 spots, so I was hesitant to put them in the top 10. They're not high enough in the power rings where I can actually move them into the top 10. Um, Detroit's for real. They're a good team, but they are in another phenomenal division. Same thing as the Rams. They're in a division so good where it might not matter that they're a decent team. You're going to have to be pretty good to make the playoffs in that division. So, good luck to Detroit. Now, that's all I'm going to say because I got a whole lot to say about this season and this week's officiating. So, let's get right into that. It all started. It all started with one of the worst missed calls in the history of sports. With Nikel Roby Coleman hitting Tommy Lee Lewis in the NFC Championship game, not drawing a flag. We all have been over this. We all know how big of a deal it was. It was robbery. We all know it. So, what does the NFL do? Sean Payton pretty much forced it in, but yes, the NFL did it. Is they made pass interference reviewable. At, when that first happened, we're like, okay, good. That makes sense. Good. We're glad it happened. Then we took a couple months to think about it and realized, hey, this might backfire a little bit. This might turn into very bad, turn into something very bad because now pass interference is going to get really looked at. So we're thinking, okay, this might not turn out well. And we saw in the preseason, and it looked like it did its job. It served its purpose of just really like only being really used if it was obvious misses. And it's only time it was only reversed in the free season where it was a clear and obvious miss. Not a little bit of touching here and there that could have drawn a flag, but eh, no big deal. It didn't. No, it only got reversed. It was clear and obvious. It only happened, I think, only once in the entire preseason they reversed it, and there was like 30 or 40 challenges of pass interference. I think only once or twice they actually reversed it. In the during the regular season, first few weeks is the same thing. But recently, it's been very up and down. And it's been a mess in terms of that. That rule has been a disaster. However, because it was a new rule implemented this year and it's approved by the competition committee, they cannot get rid of the rule for whatever reason, until the season is over. I don't know exactly why, but that is how it works. You literally cannot replace that rule or get rid of it entirely until the season is over and the owners can all vote on it and all that. And it's a whole long process. They can't just do in the middle of the season. So that will, unfortunately, that rule will stay like that for the rest of the year. But there's one thing that they can change. And that is the ridiculous amount of holding calls. Holding has been up, I believe it's 60% from last year. Something crazy like that. We are, it shattered the record of most holding calls in a single season through like six weeks. That record has been shattered. I think it got doubled or something stupid like that. It might not have been doubled, but I know it was close. When you look at football, every single play is holding. It just matters if the NFL officials saw it or if it was obvious holding. 
It's either not obvious holding or obvious holding. Either way, there's some sort of holding on every play. Which is why it now seems like on every single play there's a flag. And most of the time it's for holding. That needs to change. Also needs to change this ridiculous roughing the passer penalty. If you lay a finger on the quarterback, there have been times where that has been called for pass interference. Michael Pierce against the Steelers. Lightly touched. Devlin Hodges. Bam. Roughing the passer. In that same game, I forget who it was, but a player on the Steelers. Barely touched Lamar, I mean, tackled Lamar Jackson as he was throwing the football. Not low, not high, he just tackled him as he was throwing it. Like, was perfectly fine. Bam, roughing the passer. Ridiculous. Clay Matthews can attest to this. What? It's ridiculous. It needs to change. I am all for protecting quarterbacks. We've seen a ridiculous amount of quarterbacks going down this year. So I'm all for protecting the quarterback. But not to this extent. It has been ridiculous. These, the amount of penalties on roughing the passer and the way, I mean, not in the way, and what has been roughing the passer. If you hit the quarterback in a certain way, I'm all for calling it more than they did 20, 15, even 10 years ago. But not this often. Same with holding. It's ridiculous. You cannot take the violence out of football. The only way you can do that is making it flag football and not the refs throwing the flag version. Literal flag football that you see kids playing. That is the only way to take the violence out of professional football. It's the only way. So unless if you want to see the NFL turn into a flag football league, I say let the players play. Because it's getting ridiculous. And as these players get bigger and stronger and better over the next generation, over the next 10, 15, 20 years, where it's even more and more and more serious injuries and even more and more and more penalties, and it's going to get worse and worse and worse. The NFL needs to get ahead of this now. Now. Because if they don't, they're in trouble. They are in serious, serious trouble. Because fans are going to stop watching. Because every other play is going to be a penalty. And it's, gonna be, it's not going to be fun to watch. Because it's, oh, cool play. Oh, not going to count. Oh, not going to count. Oh, extra yards for you. Oh, extra yards for you. Not going to count. Not, it's going to get annoying. So the NFL needs to fix this officiating problem. I haven't even gotten into how incompetent these officials are. It's bad cost, bad call. So it's like, okay, fine. So as soon as you think, okay, whatever, I don't like it, but at least you have consistency. Oh, no, you don't have consistency at all. One thing you get, there have been times where it's been a blatant holding, they don't call it. There have been times where it's completely legal blocking, holding, offense. It makes no sense. Same thing with pass interference, same with roughing the passer, every single penalty. It's only a matter of time before, off, before we don't even know what an offsides penalty is at this point. The NFL went from a problem of not knowing where to catch is. They fixed it. So the NFL needed a new problem. Yeah, it's one big, gigantic problem. The NFL needs to be, get fixed now before it becomes a serious, serious problem to professional football as a whole. Not the NFL, professional football in general. I, I mean, football is a sport. College, high school, all of it. Because... Yes, there are different rules in college. Yes, there are different rules in high school, but it's based on the NFL rules. So, the more and more strict the NFL gets, or the less and less consistent the NFL gets in terms of rules, the less and less consistent college will get, the less and less consistent high school will get, and the entire sport will then get screwed up. So, the NFL must, 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 must get this together and get what needs to be done. Because it is getting ridiculous. Officials need to be fired. I mean, it is ridiculous. That's all I got to say. Fix this issue. Actually, before I go, the one guy who I forgot to mention, the head of all this is Al Riveron. The head of officiating in New York. So whenever a, cha- a play gets challenged... It's, they don't go under the hood anymore. They go to New York and Al Riveron, the head of officiating. So whenever we get a bad challenge, 
That you see, well, that's the oh, and they don't, and it makes no sense. Who do you blame? You don't blame the official. You blame Al Riveron, the guy in New York. He's the one that didn't reverse it. He has the final call. If Dean Blandino was still there, I bet the NFL would be in better shape. When this whole thing about going to New York was put in place to put make Blandino have more power. Blandino left a couple weeks later, and now Riveron got forced into the front, and his um, his tenure as head as, head as official has been disastrous, to say the least. Think about all of the problems with officiating over the last three years. That has all been with Al Riveron as the head of officiating. Al Riveron took over in the heat of the what is a catch controversy. And then as soon as they resolved that, all of this hitting stuff and helmet to helmet and all that came up. All that disaster has been all started and carried out by Riveron. So he needs to be at the blame and he needs to get replaced. Now, that's all I got to say. God, it's ridiculous. I don't know about you, but I love this new format. I think I'm going to stick with this format. We're going to get into some top headlines. Then we'll break down only a select number of games and then the Ravens game. And then we'll get into some kind of topic that I want to discuss. And then we'll end the show. It's pretty much the same time. We're not going to gloss. We're going to gloss over the games that don't really matter. And I honestly, this might be my favorite episode to record ever. So I think I'm going to stick with this format for the Tuesday show. Because I've been, I've been experimenting with a lot of things. I think I'm just going to stick with this. This was really fun to make. All right. Now, if you want to talk to me on Instagram, you want to follow me on Instagram, you can, at The Other Berman Show. That's also how you can vote on the polls on the NFL Pick'em that will be posted every Saturday. And you guys can vote on the games. You guys have been doing very, very well this year. In fact, I can tell you that the standings right now in the Pick'em, you guys have a lead 57-34-1 lead. I am at... 49, 42, and 1, and the guest pickers are at 49, 42, and 1. Shout out to Eli Wahlberg. He had a great week last week, and he made me and the guest pickers tied, which puts me in a position where I need to pull ahead of the guest pickers. Fans, you guys just got to keep doing what you're doing. You guys will be fine. I'm 4 and 2 in my lock of the week, 4 and 2 in my game of the week, 1 and 5 in my upset, 2 and 4 on Sunday, on Thursday night, 2 and 4 on Sunday night, yeah, 2 and 4 on Thursday night, 2 and 4 on Sunday night. Four and three on Monday night, eight and eleven on prime time. That was the updated standing. So yes, once again, follow me on Instagram at the other Berman Show. Keep my DMs open. We can talk to me anytime you want. Thank you for listening. Be sure to tune in to every episode. I mean to new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. Thank you for listening. Goodbye and go Ravens.